This semester, we're looking at the book of Ecclesiastes, okay? The book of Ecclesiastes uh, is a short little book in the Old Testament, um, and it's, it's, really, it's really complex. It's really challenging, uh, but it's actually really rich, too, and, and really good for us. And in it, God is helping us, as we read it and think about it together this semester, uh, God is helping us see and understand the complexities of a broken world. Uh, like you and I, all we, we all live in a broken world, and by reading this book and studying it together, God is really helping us understand it a little better. Uh, and so if you would, turn, if you've got a Bible with you, if you don't, the sheet that had the song lyrics, flip it over. Uh, you'll see a Bible passage there. Uh, Ecclesiastes 2, uh, we're going to look at verses 17 through 26. Uh, Ecclesiastes 2, 17 to 26. And before we dive into God's Word, I'm going to pray one more time for us because we need all the help we can get. Let's pray. Uh, God, you're so good to us. Thank you uh, for your Word. Thank you that you speak, that you continue to speak through it. And we pray that you would give us ears to hear now. And we pray and ask this in Jesus' name. Amen. Um, let me ask you a question. You don't have to answer this out loud. Just think about it. Have you ever had a horrible boss? If you've had a job, right? Uh, in 2011, New Line Cinema, which is a, a movie company, production company, released this comedy called Horrible Bosses. Horrible Bosses. Uh, it's about these three friends who decide they're going to take out their bosses. They have three different jobs, three different bosses, and they're all going to take them out. And, uh, one boss was this evil psycho, played by Kevin Spacey. Uh, one of the bosses was into sexual harassment. Um, and the other one, played by, I think it's Colin Farrell, uh, was this incompetent, like, cocaine-addicted son of the, 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 the boss, the owner of the company. And guess what? Well, he died, and so this... Cocaine addicted son takes over the company. So that's the three bosses, right? Um, maybe you can relate. I don't know. Come tell me some good stories later. Uh, you've had some crazy bosses. But what's amazing about this movie is it cost $35 million to make that mo to movie. That's, now, that's, that's a lot of money to us, but in the movie world, production world, that's really not a ton, right? It, made, it took $35 million. Do you know how much money horrible bosses won? Like, how much money it made? It made, in profit, over $150 million. Okay, so that means it's getting up to $200 million. Uh, it was so successful that you probably just saw the sequel. Some of you, anybody? I'm sure maybe some of you just came out with a sequel. Um, but this was not the first successful comedy about work. Okay? Uh, actually, uh, the cult classic, Office Space... Uh, if you've seen it, if you haven't, I'm sure it's on Netflix, uh, may have paved the way for comedies about work. Uh, Office Space came out in 1999, and this is the headline. If you go Google this movie, this is, the, this is what you're going to see. Work sucks. That's it. That's the tagline. That's, that, they're selling you right there. And they did sell us. Um, many people would agree with that. Like when you think about work, it, it's, it, like for many people, work is... 
an awful experience. Like, is it not? I mean, it's really awful. Monotonous, you got a terrible boss, you hate it, it's miserable. You'd rather be watching Netflix, right? And so, it's an awful experience. Um, the thing that these movies do that make them so successful is they portray the broken reality of work, right? They portray it, and, and people identify with it. Because we all know what it's like to have a job we don't enjoy. We all know what it's like to have a boss that mm, isn't the best boss in the world. Uh, if we don't, we know someone. Or maybe we've watched our parents go through that, you know, and the stress and the fatigue and anxiety that it creates. Um, many of us, at some point, will deal with the broken reality of work. You're going to graduate, you're going to go get a job. I hope it's an awesome job, but at some point it may not be that awesome. Um, and, and here's the other thing, just besides the fact that it's just kind of broken, um, we will spend our whole lives performing, working, achieving for things we cannot keep. You all look depressed. Exactly. I am too. So this is like, this is really heavy stuff. You know, when you think about it, this is a topic like, it is super important and super essential to talk about and think about work, because we spend most of our life doing it, but we actually don't spend much time talking about it, especially thinking about what God has to say about work. And so that's what we're doing tonight. We're going to rethink work. That's actually all he's going to talk about. Um, and if you feel kind of heavy, like, whoa, that is a bummer, Brian, thanks, I'm not coming back. Um, it's exactly how the author feels. Like, you are in, you, you can relate to him now. Because uh, you're going to see it at the beginning of this passage. He's kind of doing this thing where he's been thinking about death. <laughs> Brian and never coming back. Uh, and and kind of what that means for all his hard work, right? And so he's, he's going to kind of basically help us think about and be real honest about the reality of work. And then he's going to really help us think about the redemption of work. Um, and so, first thing you see... First four words in verse 17, and we're going to stop there. You see it. He goes, so I hated life. You're like, man, are you up? I thought this was supposed to be encouraging. Uh, you know, like, here's the, let's think about we're reading the Bible, and we see that phrase. A guy who's writing the Bible, who is inspired by God, says, so I hated life. I mean, for a lot of people, this, is a, this shocks us immediately, Right? It disorients people because, you know, you come to the Bible and you just don't expect to hear stuff like that. Like, you don't expect to see stuff like this in the Bible. And, and for, for many, this kind of raw honesty, because that's, that's raw, that's honest, is the reason they don't like Ecclesiastes. It's the reason it's dismissed. It's the reason that you don't see tons of stuff coming out about Ecclesiastes. Uh, it's stuff like this. But uh, this little phrase is so good. It's so good for us. Um, has a lot to teach us. There's a pastor in Missouri named Zach Eswine, and he says this about that little phrase, those four words, that the, the author speaks like this, right? The author speaks like this, not just because God can handle it, right? But because a true relationship with God sometimes requires such language. Well, Otherwise, here's what we do. We hide. We compartmentalize. We're always good. Y'all know those people. 
always good. Like they're always good. And maybe they are always good. They're always blessed. And that's fine, um, but, the, but the world is broken. And at some point, it's not okay. At some point, we kind of experience that brokenness. Um, and if we are always good, we're never really honest with God or with other people, right? And so when the author says, I hated life, like it doesn't mean he always hated life, okay? Uh, And it doesn't mean he always will. But at some point, he did. He hated life. Uh, And when the author says, man, I hated life, it's a lot of times people think, man, that's a sign of spiritual immaturity. How did this dude get in the Bible? Right? But it's not. It's actually a mark of maturity. Um, Because when we can take everything, I want you to think about this, when we can take everything, our hatred, our weaknesses, our failures, when we can take anything and everything to God, it's a a big deal. It's actually a sign of maturity, right? Um, And so I've highlighted these words, just kind of camped out there for a second, because we need them. Like, we, we need that kind of honesty. We need to know it's okay to not be okay sometimes. Like, we need to know it's okay to actually say that kind of stuff to God. Because we, we are not an honest people about the way we feel all the time, especially guys. Um, but girls, too. I mean, anybody. Christians are really great at this. Like, we're not really honest about what's going on inside of us. And so I hope, like, those first few words, four words, really kind of free us up. Um... Now, I'm not saying, like, you need to walk around and be brutally honest all the time. You know? You know those people, too. Um, you know, kind of just emoting everywhere, like a, just a rapid-fire emoting machine gun. You know? Because here's the route. You're not going to have any, like, people aren't going to hang out with you. It's going to be a little too much for them. You know what I'm saying? It's going to be too much for anybody. Um, but there is a time for honesty. And that's what we get here, right out the gate, is there is a time for honesty about the way we feel, especially as we relate to God. Like, maybe you don't say those things to, to someone else. That's okay. But at some point, you've got to be that honest with God. Um, and so, he takes a look. He says, I hated life. It's where we're starting out tonight. Uh, let's keep going. And so, verse 17 through 19. And see why. Well, why did he hate life? That's really the good question to ask. So, I hated life because the work... <laughs> that is done under the sun, was grievous to me. All of it is meaningless, a chasing after the wind. I hated all the things I had toiled for under the sun, because I must leave them to one who comes after me. And who knows whether he will be a wise man or a fool, yet he will have control over all the work into which I have poured my effort and skill under the sun. This, too, is meaningless. Um, so what, why did he hate life? Well, because of work. But work grieved him. He's going to kind of unpack that for us. Um, remember, and here's what's important to remember. We started this in chapter 1. This dude, this author, right, he's on a quest to find meaning in life. Okay? Um, and everything has failed up until this point. And now he's going to start talking about work. And you know what? Work failed too. 
It did not provide the meaning in life he's looking for. Um, I mean, he's worked so hard, and yet, as he reflects on death, he's, he's gripped with the reality that what? He says it. I can't take any of this stuff with me. Um, and he's got to leave it behind. Then you see it in verse 19. What's he do? He kind of starts wrestling with the uncertainty of it. Like, not only can I not take this with me, I've got to leave it to somebody. What if they're a tool? You know, that's really what he's thinking. Um, and, and he's like, man, oh my gosh, he's freaking, what about the person who inherits my stuff? Are they going to be good? Are they going to be bad? What's going to happen? Because they will have control over every bit of his achievement. Now, many think there's a king in the Old Testament named Solomon. He's a really big deal. If you knew the Bible, don't worry about it. Solomon, big deal. Well, many people, and, and I lean in that direction, think Solomon wrote Ecclesiastes. Okay, so let's just think about Solomon's life for a second. Um, Because he was one of the world's most successful, if not the most successful businessman. And Solomon left everything behind because he died. Right? He left everything behind. Wealth, achievement, etc. I mean, he, he left a kingdom behind. Okay? It's a big deal. To his oldest son, dude named Rehoboam. Solid name. I know you want it. Uh, Rehoboam, right, was a disaster. Rehoboam, that's a tough one, man, Rehoboam, lost 83% of the kingdom. Y'all got that? 83% of everything Solomon has worked for, gone. Thank you, Rehoboam, my oldest, my firstborn. You're a stud. Right? So you get what he's saying right here. He's freaking out for good reason. Because i got to leave it to somebody. And I've been checking out Rehoboam, and it's not looking too good. You know what I'm saying? Um, and so, anyway, let's keep going. Brother's having a bad day. And he continues. What? He kind of continues to think about the broken reality of work. And listen to what he says, verse 20 and 21. So my heart began to despair over all my toilsome, toilsome labor under the sun. For a man may do his work with wisdom, knowledge, and skill, and then he must leave all he owns to someone who has not worked for it. This, too, is meaningless and a great misfortune. So, dude's depressed. He's looking at Rehoboam, right? He's not too too hopeful. Let's keep going. Verse 22. What does a man get for all the toil and anxious striving with which he labors under the sun? All his days, his work is pain and grief. Even at night, his mind does not rest. This, too, is meaningless. And so he's basically just, like, he's, he's uncertain, he's freaking out. And then he starts thinking about, man, I mean, work my whole life has really beat me up. It's taken a toll. Mentally, physically, emotionally. Um, and it still does that today. You know? I mean, just think of your parents. Just think of your friends. Think of the jobs you've had. Like, it takes a toll on you. Um, but let's, let's think about the one thing you are doing right now full-time. You're a student. Like, you're, in, in a lot of ways, you're full-time job is being a student. Yeah, some of you work a couple jobs. It's amazing. 
your full-time students, some of your full-time students and athletes, you do other stuff, right? But you're all full-time students. Um, and, and what does it do? It stresses you out. I see it on your face. I hang out with you. You tell me about it. It stresses you out, and you have all these kind of things go through your mind. I was a student. I was a grad student. I get it. I've been there. Um, these things go through your mind. Like, can I get through this semester? And you, you feel the anxiety. You feel the weight of that. Um, where's the money going to come from? Like, how in the world am I going to pay for next semester? How am I going to pay rent? Um, you know, are my parents happy with me? Are they really, do they approve? If I change my major, would they be okay with that? Uh, I mean, it stresses you out. Is this the right degree? Anybody change their major? Yes. Uh, is this the right degree? Is this, let's go a step further. Is this degree, this is me, okay. Is this degree impressive? Is this degree prestigious sounding? You know what I'm saying? Uh, will I get a job? I don't have any time. How's it all going to get done? I used to think that every semester. And then I'd go hang out with my friends all the time. Uh, so it got done. Um, sometimes, let's just be really honest, sometimes you hate school. Like you do. Some of you love it, and that's awesome. But some of you, I know, like sometimes you just hate school. It bogs you down. Finals week is awful. Um, it is hard. And it takes a toll on you mentally, it takes a toll on you physically, emotionally. And maybe you don't hate school, but you have pressures connected to school, right? And you feel that. Getting accepted to a certain program, actually graduating from that program. Um, and what does it do? The same thing it did to this guy. It keeps you up at night. Like it stresses you out. I mean, look at it. You, I hear people say the Bible, I can't relate to the Bible. Yeah, you can. What's up, my man? Uh, you can relate to the Bible. Look at what he says in verse 23. Even at, my, even at night, your mind does not rest. Like you, you know, you're just feeling the stress and the pressure. And I mean, I woke up the other night at 4.30. I could not go back to sleep. I could not shut my mind off. And you know what I was thinking about? Work. I even got up. I was like, maybe I'll go watch some sports center. No kids are awake right now because it's 4.30. Sports Center will be awesome. But guess what? That didn't work either. My mind's still going. I mean, I get it. Like, we, we are so stressed out. We think so much. I mean, like, we do not rest. We do not rest. Our mind doesn't rest. And so this guy's reflecting on the toll that work is taking on his body, his mind, his soul. And he does something that you may do at some point. Maybe you're doing. Maybe you will. He asks, what for? Like, what is all this gain? Work is really hard at times. It doesn't satisfy. I want you to think about it. it doesn't, he's saying it doesn't satisfy. This dude built a kingdom. All right? I would say that's probably successful. I would call that achievement. Right? He built a kingdom, and it did not satisfy. He even says it was meaningless. And so the reality I think we've, we're faced with is, okay, work cannot, at least this is what he's telling us, and you will learn this at some point. If you don't know it already, work cannot satisfy the deep longings inside of you, no matter how great it is. You just can't. Uh, it cannot, work cannot fill the eternal cracks deep inside of you. And you will try it. I've tried it. You will. It cannot fill those things. And so let's turn our attention. So he just kept it real, which I appreciate. 
the reality of work. Well, let's talk about the redemption of work um, in verses 24 to 26. At this point, you know, he's, he's, he's been honest, he's pretty low, but in verse 24, things take a surprising turn, an actual really, a really positive turn. Um, in fact, it's like the first positive thing in the book of Ecclesiastes. That's why people don't read it, I'm sure. This is like not very you know, positive all the time. Well, here we go. Here's just some positive, folks. Uh, verse 24. A man can do nothing better than to eat and drink and find satisfaction in his work. What? What did you just tell me, dude? And now he's... All right, we'll keep going. This, too, I see is from the hand of God. For without him... Who can eat or find enjoyment? To the man who pleases him, God gives wisdom, knowledge, and happiness. But to the sinner, he gives the task of gathering and storing up wealth to hand it over to the one who pleases God. This, too, is meaningless. A chasing after the wind. And so you read that and you're like, dude, okay. Solomon, author, preacher, king. What's going on? Think about it. You... Like, you just, you just told me work was meaningless, and now you're telling me to be satisfied with work. I'm confused. And so the question you've got to ask is, well, what made the difference? What made the difference? What turned the page? What turned the corner? God made the difference. And you see it. It's right there. God provides meaning to everything. So without him, things seem meaningless. They seem joyless, right? They don't satisfy. Literally, he says what? Satisfaction is from the hand of God. For without him, what's he say? Who can find enjoyment? Like, for, for the author here, God made the difference between joy and sorrow, right? One pastor, a friend of mine, says, what, what's going on here is that the author is beginning to see and he's beginning to show us the difference it makes to live with God instead of without Him. That's what's going on. And then you get this funky verse 26, which we just, I mean, we just don't have a ton of time to cover it, but you read it, and it sounds like it's saying something like this. Good things happen to good people. Bad things happen to bad people. Therefore, we need to go and try to do good so God will be pleased with us. That's what it kind of sounds like. Wait, wait, I need to go do good stuff so God will be pleased with me. But we know that's not true. Like we know that's not true from other places in Ecclesiastes, from other places in the Bible, even from your own experience. Because you've seen bad things happen to good people. And you've seen really good, you've seen really bad people receive good things, right? And so we know, man, that's, that can't be what he's talking about. And so what he's, what he's doing is he's making a, a distinction between those who receive God's mercy and those who reject God's mercy. Uh, and, and he's just kind of making that distinction. Um, and so, let's see if we can kind of pull this. When I started doing this, I got, just FYI, this is totally off script. Uh, I was like, oh, oh my gosh. There's too, there is too much stuff to talk about. The Bible says way too much about work, and we can't cover it all tonight. And so you're going to have questions. You're going to want to talk to me. 
do it. I'd love to talk about work. Work's important. But let's just do a, like a real quick kind of reminder about, okay, what does the Bible say about work? Help you understand this. Um, okay, work is actually a good thing. Work is part of God's good creation. And, and it's also part of his good design for humanity. You see that in Genesis 1, 28, chapter 2. But we know that Genesis 1 and 2 are not the end of the story. Uh, and in Genesis 3, everything is broken, everything is wrecked, everything is corrupted when Adam and Eve rebel, right? And that includes work. And you actually can go read this if you want to know why, you know, gardening is so hard you sweat. Go read Genesis 3, 17 to 19. I was kind of being funny, but it didn't go anywhere. Um, like, Genesis 3, 17 and 19 tells us work is cursed. What? Work was actually a good thing before the fall happened. Work is cursed like the rest of creation. And so, what? that's not the end of the story either, though. Genesis 3 is not the end. Jesus came. Like, Jesus came to redeem all things, to restore. And by that all things, work is part of it. Like, he came to restore meaning, purpose, and dignity to us, to creation, to work. Like Jesus came to actually make work good again. Uh, and so throughout life, what you've got to realize is you're going to struggle with work. Like, it's going to happen. You're going to struggle with work because you and I are broken. There's going to be a time where you literally say, I hate life. I hate my job right now. This is awful. Um, work is just, it's a broken thing. Yet, at the same time, it was part of God's good design. This one real famous author says, she's, oh, she's not even around anymore. Um, she's like a British lady named Dorothy. Anyway, she says, work is a natural exercise and function of man. It's a natural exercise and function of creatures who are made in the image of their creator. So work is a good thing. God worked, right? Um, and so when we work for God and not only for ourselves, not only for our own personal gain and satisfaction, when we work for God, right, we will feel his pleasure because we're bearing his image. We're doing what he designed us to do, right? It may not always be great. It may not always be good. Uh, but we were designed to work. And to glorify God doing it. And so, let's kind of pull it all together. Um, I have a friend, two friends in total, kidding. Um, so I have a friend, um, Jessica and I actually, close friend of ours. He, uh, he went to college, just like you, smart, good looking. Um, he did well. He graduated from Auburn with a degree in architecture. Okay, so... We're talking prestigious program. It's a, it's a big deal, architecture program. Prestigious degree. He lands a job with an architecture firm in Nashville, Tennessee. Prestigious city, great city. Should go. Well, guess what happens? The economy tanks. I mean, it tanks bad. It explodes. He loses his job, and he ends up working at a call center for Comcast. Okay. Comcast is a cable television company. This is your nightmare, okay? And I watched my friend go through it. Um, architect to answering the phone, okay? And so when you had a, let's say you were a Comcast customer and you hated your service, 
You know who's going to be at the end of that phone when you call? My friend. My friend was going to answer that phone and deal with customers complaining for 10 hours a day. He did this for three years. Architect answering the phone. Uh, and this is what I still am blown away by him. He never complained. I never heard him whine. I never heard him say anything negative. He would tell funny stories because the people that call him are a little, a little they're funny. Uh, we'll just put it that. I can tell you some more stories later. It's crazy. People do on the other end of the phone. Um, and so anyway, he, did, he never did that. And so at the end of three years, Comcast literally was begging him to stay. It's like, I mean, they were rolling out red carpet. Please stay. Please do not go. I mean, they offered him money. But he's an architect. That's what he's called to do. That's what he wanted to do. And so he obviously went back into architecture. Here's the question that I asked, and a question you may be asking is, how in the world did that guy do this? Like, how was he able to do that? Answer the I mean, this dude's an architect. And here he is answering the phone for three years. Because, this is how, because he knew work was important even if it's answering the phone at Comcast. He also knew work was good. But work was not his savior. And that's exactly how he made it. He knew that work was not his savior. And many of you, I, I, I mean, I struggle with this too. Many of us will try to justify our existence. We will try so hard to find value in and through our work. I promise you, we will. You will struggle with that. Um, we will elevate God's good gift of work, which is what it is. We will elevate this good gift of work above the giver, above the one that actually gave it to us. We will cherish it more than Him. We will look to it more than Him. We will worship it, right? But what have we learned from this passage before we go off and do that? Work can't save you. Like, work can't save you. Work can't save me. Your achievements can't save you. Like, your GPA and your summa cum laude. You know what I'm saying? Like, those things are great. They can't save you. They can't. There is no job in the world, and that's what this guy's telling us. There is no job, no amount of achievement in the world that can save you. Right? There is nothing you can do to save yourself. So Jesus came to do it for you. Do you get that? Like Jesus came to do it for you. Jesus came to work. Dude, punch the clock. He clocked in and he clocked out for 33 years working perfectly. Why? Because he loves you. Because he loves you no matter what. And when he was done with his work, what did he say? It's like the greatest thing ever. He said, it is finished. And so why, why, are we, why are we working all the Why are we trying so hard, right? To be saved through work when he actually has finished it for us, right? That's good news. Jesus came to work so that you can rest in him. Let's pray. God in heaven, thank you for your word. Thank you for Jesus who did come to work. So glad he punched that clock. 
and punch that clock for me and all of us. Lord, would that, would that change us? Would that change the way we live? Would that change even the way we think about work? And would we go work in such a way that brings glory to Jesus? Would we see Jesus' great love for us tonight? I pray in his name. Amen.